0: This is the She Do That podcast. She Do That is a London-based animation community aimed at developing women in animation skills and connecting them with people in the industry to strengthen their employability and hopefully go some way to narrowing the gender gap we see in animation. This is a special episode that we recorded in the summer of 2023 at the Royal College of Art. The wonderful Carla McKinnon invited us to host a panel the Animation MA Industry Day to talk about entering the industry and approaching film festivals. We have Abigail Addison, Sue Lochlin, Emily Gordon Wilson, Emma Calder and Stephen McNally speaking on the panel. There's a lot of great advice in this episode, so get ready to take some notes and now to crack on with the chat. Sorry, still looking hair. Amazing Um, And yeah, thank you all for staying for this podcast episode. But yeah, I think because we've spoken a lot about the specific films, we thought it'd be good to do a more general chat about um, getting into the industry. And obviously now that people have finished their films, they'll be wanting to know what they can do with them, where they're gonna go, how they're gonna like utilize them for um, moving forward for their careers. If we wanna do some quick intros first, would be great.
1: Hi, I'm Abigail and I'm a producer and programmer.
0: I'm Sue. I'm exec
2: producer. I'm Emily. I'm head of sales.
1: I'm Emma Calder. I'm a director.
3: I'm from Pearly Oyster Productions.
2: I'm Steve McNally. I'm a director and creative director at Blink Inc. and Industries.
0: So I thought maybe we could start off with um, like first jobs. Like obviously you all did something to get here, and it'd be nice to kind of figure out what the first job was and maybe
4: how that sort of evolved quickly to the position you are in now so from uni i interned absolutely everywhere i wanted to be really cool so i went and interned at vice when they were really tiny and managed to get in there at the right time and they wanted me to do sales and i was like that doesn't sound very creative so i didn't do that and i left uh, and i went and worked for a company that made reusable bags for brands, which is really exciting, and applied for a job on a whim at um, a company called Jelly, where Sue works, to be their PR person. And I went in for the interview and sat with uh, Chris Page, who owns it, and sat there and I said, I'd li- really like to do PR, but I don't really like writing. <laughs> so I didn't get that job. And he called me the next day and he's like, I think we've made a job for you. And I was like, right, and he said, it's sales. And I was like, really doesn't sound very creative. Like, I really don't want to do it. And he said, come in, give it a go, try it out. I think you're going to like it. My mum's an illustrator and my dad is uh, ECD and an agency. Um, so I had a bit of an understanding of the advertising industry and how that works, and kind of some of the roles within it, which I'm, I know is like incredibly like privileged position to be in, but also to understand kind of the world in which uh, animators and illustrators. Yeah. Working and how precious their work is to them and working alongside really talented people that don't really have the voice or want to go out and sell themselves. So I found a really unique position in the fact that I could understand, have an eye for artists and their work and help promote them, even though they couldn't do it themselves. Um, So I worked at Jelly for a while and then got headhunted by a live-action company... Um, and I thought I was going to go and travel the world and um, be on like big Hollywood sets and stuff. I didn't. I make TV adverts, but um, now run a smaller production company, and I'm looking to have live action and animation in equal parts. And that, and that's how I got into it. So basically, applied for a job, didn't get it, and they made one for me.
3: Well, my my first job was quite lucky, really, because I I just finished the Royal College, and um, an artist called Eduardo Palazzi, who's a very famous pop artist from the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, was looking for someone to make an animated film of his, his some of his artwork. So I got asked, along with another woman who was currently still a student, to make this film for him. So I was properly paid as soon as I left and was being paid actually by the Royal College of Art because I think the money went, f- he was teaching in the surroundings department or something like that. So he, he basically wanted to spend the money at Royal College. So it was all coming out of a, a sort of fund that he'd set up. So that was a great first job because I was, you know, with this other woman who was an animator called Susan Young, a very brilliant animator. The, the two of us put together this film for him and we had to make a 12 minute film in about three months so it was quite a challenge but really good thing to do because I'd always wanted to be independent and run my own studio so meanwhile whilst I was doing that a group of friends were, were actually decorating an old de-lousing centre at the Elephant and Castle ready for us to move well I was going to they've already started to move in but I was going to join them as soon as I finish this film so I went from college to making that film to setting up my own studio with these other people that was always my vision really which was to be my own boss but you know I did a mixture of um, freelance work as well and over the years and working in and out of other studios but I won't go on too much now because that might be another question but that was the the first thing My
2: first job was in a video shop which was before uh, I graduated but I think helped a lot because I watched everything in there that I wasn't too stuck up to watch. My first job after graduating my BA uh, I answered a radio ad for a job in the National Broadcaster in Ireland and then worked there for seven years in their what well, was normally graphic design department but because it was for television it was mo- more animation so it was doing 2d animation 3d animation After Effects puppety animation on close to zero budget but with very little creative interference at all so we'd just make a thing in the time we had to make it and then it would go on air Um, because there was a very low stakes uh, attitude towards television in Ireland at the time. When when the budgets went from zero into negative figures I left there and uh, decided to try and make something for myself so I did the the MA here at the Royal College of Art. In second year on that, Blink and Bart sponsored my graduation film. I think that was off the back of a music video I didn't done over the summer. He really liked the style of it, thought, oh that's cool. And yeah, wanted to encourage more of that. That summer, then I did a bit of pitching on projects for AKA, but then a script came in for Elliot Deere at Blink, where one of the things feel felt like Oh, we could do that in that style from that music video that guy did. And so they got me into, sort of, as a trial run, as a director on one of four films that Elliot was doing simultaneously, I did that one. And uh, that, that worked out for them. They liked it. They signed me up, and I've been there ever since.
5: Well, I suppose I was incredibly lucky after, or during uh, the time I was at the National Film School, my first job was to direct a commercial for Levi's which was amazing (laughs) amazing Um, and I was flown out to Los Angeles to do it (laughs) Uh, so then I directed some commercials and that's how I got into commercials the commercials don't grow on trees so you have to you know do commercials and other things so I divided my time up with teaching then I moved into production uh, stopped directing altogether I worked at a company called Thing One as exec producer on a, a kind of funny little section of there, which looked after kind of independent, really slight, slightly quirky directors, and then I moved over to Jelly about seven years ago as executive producer still there, and I've been there since doing that full time. Or well, as part of my job, I do keep an eye out for new talent, and one of the things Jelly is quite keen on is looking out for and supporting young uh, talent, So um, that's why I was quite keen to come here today.
1: I always feel like an imposter with this question. So I've got a drama degree um, and I thought I'd work in theatre and I've ended up working in animation. Um. So yeah, I uh, got a drama degree. I went and worked at the Arts Council. I applied to work in the theatre department. They gave me a job in the visual arts department and thus began my journey (laughs) into animation. So I didn't even think animation was a job or film was a job back then. Um, So I've just been someone who has got to know things through this thing called Animate TV, which used to exist, a scheme that the Arts Council and Channel 4 uh, funded. And um, so working at the Arts Council, I got to work on it. And then when it was set up independently, Yeah, kind of carried on making films and learning, sort of as a production coordinator, and then kind of moving up into a producer role. And we've been doing animate now for sixteen years, which is kind of it's a long time when you say it out loud, isn't it? Really?
0: Yeah. So you know, sometimes you can just sort of stumble into a job. I think that's a really important point, though. That well. For me personally when I started I was like oh yeah I'm going to be an animator immediately and that's it done but actually I think roots and paths and careers evolve quite a lot like I feel like both Sue and Abigail have had careers that have evolved in like probably unexpected ways and also I think I was reading that you met Gary at that first job was it at the Arts Council so I mean it's incredible that on a sort of random first job, you meet somebody who then you sort of build a studio, a company with and and that lasts for 16 years. So I think it's like really important maybe for people to know that actually, you know, on those first jobs, you can meet people who will have such a large impact on your career. So that's really exciting. Um, So make friends with everyone right now (laughs) because you never know, Um, especially people at uni, I feel like going to the RCA, you must have met lots of people that you still know and have worked with today.
3: Yeah, I think, it's obviously it's who, you, you know, part of being a student is, it's not just the college or all the tutors, it's your peers. And I think that when I was finishing off in, well, we had three years in those days, because I actually did graphic design, so I didn't actually do animation, but I started to, to make animated films as a graphic design student. And so towards the, the end of, of my third year, I met one of the women who had left the year before me, who was an illustrator, she'd also gone over into the film school to make animation. So she'd already started going around all the studios in, in London. So it was her that really encouraged me. She said, you know, she came to see my degree show and she came up to me and she said, you know, there's tons of work out there. She said, just ring me up and I'll let you know where the jobs are on and stuff like that. So that that's how... It all began, so after i'd finished doing the C the film i you know, and I was in my own little studio, I was then going out and i was I was getting illustration work, graphic design work, and animation work, and somebody who 'd actually approached me as a student at the Royal College to do some work, and i'd turn them down because they said they didn 't have any money, they just wanted a student to do it for cheap or for nothing, so i you know I basically. So well look when you've got some money, come back to me, so they came back to me when they got so they got a budget together, and then I worked on this pop video in in a, in a studio in Soho so the whole way things used to work in those days is that I would be say working in my studio at the Elephant and Castle all day on something, and then I'd cycle into Soho and I'd go around all the pubs, so i'd go around and see if I could find one of my friends and like you'd go into like one pub you know coaching horses I don't know which ones we were going to French house and you'd see a friend say an ex-student at the Royal College and you'd say where are you working they'd say oh we're all working on this pop video at such and such studio and then the next day you'd sort of ring up the studio and say do you need another animator do you need someone else to do a a section so it, it is all to do with your network obviously now you've got social media so it's a bit the equivalent you know I think one thing that's really good to do is that if you haven't got any work which is quite often instead of just sitting there on your own thinking shit I'm a failure I haven't got any work what you should do is pick up your phone and actually ring up a friend and say have you got any work? And they might say, actually, I do. And, you know, ask if they've got a bit of work they can give you. And it's about exchanging and sharing. So instead of sort of everyone competing with each other, you know, the animation community is pretty good at supporting people. So I think that's what you need to build upon from your student experiences. just keep in touch with all these people that you've met and be available. But don't be ashamed when you're not doing well, that's the real time then you need to be ringing people up, but often people you ring them up and say, oh I haven't got any work, and they go, "No, I haven't got any work, (laughs) and then you can just just sit and moan together, but then two days later one person might get a phone call where they have got a job, so then they ring their friend up, anyway.
2: Yeah, I think that's an important part of it, is that so much of our tiny little industry is based on networks and favours. Lots of people owing everyone favours, especially for the smaller jobs. You'll you'll get a few people in that you know to give you a hand on something that's not the most rewarding work, I'll say. But then later when you're crewing up on a job, on a commercial, there's this, this mad scramble at the top where you're trying to lock down a crew, and just being the person that's on the tip of someone's brain at that point is very, very valuable. That they can think, oh, I know someone who can do exactly that thing that we want for this. Because they've worked with you and they know that you're reliable and you're not a pain in the hole.
0: Be a nice human being, I think, goes a long way. If for you guys looking for emerging talent, where do you find those people? Then I mean, probably different in terms of a different network. Maybe are you looking on social media? or those?
4: There's a few different ways. We obviously get sent lots of work. It rarely do you find someone through being sent something just because you we're sent so much stuff all the time so it's got to be a real like to the point email with your work attached and it's just really hard to be able to show yourself as a director just from that initial email so i can understand that's really tough there's a few different ways in which we find people instagram is way more valuable than having a website because you're gonna accidentally fall into an art director's vision board so people are going to accidentally find you instead of having to like search and go through loads of different people's work. Which I think if you're just constantly posting on there, it's fantastic. It doesn't have to be like completely kind of curated. I think always show that you're there. Always show that you're in front of people and um, doing stories, um, show the craft behind it. And then award shows, we tend to poach people from different Companies. So if you can get in anywhere and be in front of people, then we tend to do I mean it's not dirty. I think you find people. You've got to start somewhere, haven't you? And then uh yeah, what else what, where else do we go to? Award shows and Festival. Festival, that's the one. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> Festivals. I met so many people in Annecy this year. When you're in live action, you don't really tend to work uh, hang out with a lot of students and a lot of students went to Annecy and you could um, sit down and actually go through and and hang out with new talent which I found way more useful than maybe going to somewhere like Cannes.
1: Basically
5: the same as what Emily said. We, um, Although I do look at every single email and I look at all the work. So yeah, I look at everything, which is why I say keep it short. If you've got something really long, I probably won't look at it all the way through, but get to the point pretty quick. Um, In a show reel, a show reel shouldn't really be more than a minute. I'll look at the whole thing through. Choose some snappy music. Don't choose some really horrible, dark heavy music. Just something that's quite jolly, that's generic and general. Do
4: you find show reels useful?
5: uh yes but but what i'll do if i look at a showreel i'll then and i will go to on instagram i'll look at your bio and i'll go to your website if i like what i'm seeing so post everything on instagram post loads of it lots of moving stuff i'll go through to your website and i'll just check um all of the full pieces on there yeah that i guess um festivals go there send stuff
1: yeah, I mean, I would echo the thing. I know it's a bit cringe, isn't it, having to network, but actually meeting people, you remember people. So, like, when you are thinking, oh, we need someone to work on this project. Oh, yeah, I met that nice person at a festival. I remember, because it is often that you are last minute thinking, who can we get to do something so remember, remember you? So do start going to things like London Animation Club. Shiju, that's picnics and stuff. Kind of get yourself known to people. It's really good. And also that is another way to meet peers and possibly set up your own studios or collectives or whatever as well um but yeah i mean instagram so instagram really think about how you're curating your content and put all your cat videos and pouty photos on a personal
0: instagram and have your professional instagram so i think that is quite important i would say yeah definitely really important to have a professional instagram so that you're like actually uh, we did a um panel in the pandemic where um B grandetti has a, a personal Instagram and a professional one and she says actually she gets way more work from the personal one because it's sort of a mixture of things so I think it really depends on your character like who you are If if you are someone who's like for me personally mainly have like a professional one but if your personality is sort of something that is engaged in the work and obviously she runs Panimation as well so it's like all a part of it so it's interesting to sort of change that. I
4: think from a like promotional point of view I think it, it doesn't matter as long as it's not like really like really personal <laughs> I think it's okay I think actually I get a lot of our commercial jobs through posting on Instagram. And that is personal stuff as well. Like, I will post what I have for dinner. But that is because it makes me more approachable and relatable to people. So they go, okay, yeah, I don't mind, like, asking her for help, or I don't mind doing this. So I, I think there's a, there's a line. I don't think you have to have two separate ones. Because also, who's also... You're going to have to get the following for your work one as well. And actually, I think a lot of the following that you build over the years is, is through personal stuff anyway. But yeah, no, because I do,
0: I well, I've heard that there are some producers who will engage with people because of their following, and even people who will come to animators because... They have a massive following, so they're like, actually, can you do this project because we want eyes on it and you've got, you know, over 100,000 people following you. So I think it really depends. It's very personal how people approach social media, I think. But yeah, the thing I did want to touch on, because you were talking about collectives, Emma, so you graduated RCA, and I know there's actually, you know, Studio Desk, Moth. Um, animate all graduated from the RCA and all set up their own studios as well I'd like to sort of like dig into that a little bit just as like for people starting out what was the thinking behind setting up your own studio and and how was that like in the early days
3: well we just we were quite lucky because we were given this building that was completely derelict they gave us a big rent-free period to do it up and I think I'm not sure that we had a lot of strategy. I mean, one guy, had he'd left LCP, which was the equivalent of LCC, you know, three years before that. So he'd already had a job and he'd been working commercially already. So we were kind of looking to him a lot to bring work in. So he was doing graphics. And I think the idea was we didn't have a company. We were all individuals. But the plan was we would all give each other work when we got work. So um, that was a bit of the plan so we had him and he was pretty on it and had work and then basically i think that just i think i didn't have that great a plan i just finished the palazzi film and then started to you know came into the studio and suddenly it occurred to me that i had to think about what i was going to do for the rest of my life and that was really difficult and I was sitting there looking a bit lost and the guy who'd already been working said well if you want something to do you and Jed can sort out the picture library you can we need pictures we need to build a picture library because there was nothing like there was no internet or Google but we still needed reference so he gave us a whole stack of magazines and me and Jed just started to cut them up and file them so that's what we did the first sort of week or so but then of course I got bored with cutting up the magazines and putting them into the folders and instead I started to do collages with them and actually design my business card and the pearly oyster logo which was to come later was designed that week so I did all these collages so then I thought what am I going to do now and Alex said well you've got to do a CV and I didn't know what a CV was so I said you know that shows you how much they taught you at the Royal College forty years ago. So I said, "What's a CV?" And he said, oh, "It's where you you know you write down what you've done." So then I spent the next week or two doing the CV, and then I sent it out to every single animation studio in the country. And then I got I think maybe three or four replies. And then I went round to see all these different studios. I saw John Coates, who used to run TVC, which did the Snowman and He was lovely, but he said, oh, you're too good for me to employ. I can't possibly employ you. So, you know, it's difficult to have a plan, but I suggest that it's a good idea to have that because I think I've suffered as a result of that lack of the organisation. I had the vision. The vision was to make fantastic films, but without a sort of model, a business model, it's been very hard to always, you know, be able to maintain enough, decent income to survive so it's always been a constant battle of never really having enough money to you know to make the next film or get the n- next lot of funding so it's always been it's not been an easy ride and I, I suggest going to work in someone else's studio for a while I think setting up immediately like that was just it's a kind of daft thing to do actually I think it's better to get more tricks of the trade but I did you know go into other people's studios. And, and watch them and see how they did their dope sheets or see how they did whatever they were doing so I didn't completely not do that but I think a bit longer with the, the business plan would have been better.
0: Thank you yeah no I mean it's hard I guess like start I mean everyone finds it hard starting out but having an actual plan from the get-go feels quite unusual I think there's very special people who are like this is it I'm going forward Duh, duh, duh. done. But actually, I mean, like, Stephen, you developed, I guess, a relationship with Blink that maybe made that sort of transition into industry a little bit smoother, would you say? It would be great to hear how that evolved, because I think um, relationships are such an important part of the industry, and especially ones with studios. If you wanted to talk about that at all.
2: As I said, the, I knew no one. <laughs> um, Bart came in, and he was giving talks in the RCA, and they had, back then, they had a scheme where they they would regularly fund two films, give them, uh, I think it was around 3,000 pounds as budget for their films. So there was two films that year, Alice Dunseith's and mine, that he gave some money towards. As part of that, we gave him a few samples of our work that we'd already done and our pitch for our grad film. So he liked the music video and I think he might have skimmed the pitch for the grad film, which was in a very skeletal state at that point, and as a result, picked me to be one of the the people for it, and then during this industry feedback session, he and Philip Hunt were both sort of talking over each other, talking about my film, and as a result of that, I think we had had a few chats outside, I was in a weirdly cocky position, um, which... I don't know how I ended up there, um, where I got to actually work with both of them. And as I said, the work I did initially was quite bad, and uh, that, that I would re- recommend not doing that. Do, you do good work when you get a, a, an important relationship. Don't immediately do something shonky. Um, or if you don't have time to do the work, tell them you don't have time to do the work. You have to go on holidays. You've got the flights booked. So, yeah, don't do not do that. But I think in terms of the relationships, one of the early conversations I had with Bart, he suggested I might come in and do an internship for a bit. And as part of my cockiness, I suggested that I've been working in animation in Ireland for seven years. Um, an internship feels like a step backwards. I know it's Ireland, but it still counts to me. Um, and he, he took that and in the spirit that I'd like him to. Um, and that worked out. But, yeah, I think the relationships-wise, I was just lucky. Just happened to have made something that was to several people's tastes at the time.
0: It must have been, yeah, just a strange position to have come out and gone straight into one studio and then sort of... Well,
2: I wasn't strictly into one studio. I was also oh, compositing okay. and I, for working for a couple of other studios around London, doing comp work and doing some basic phys dev work and design work. Uh, it just happened that blink was where i stuck and sort of grabbed on and never let go
0: so even though you were sort of signed quite early on you were able to freelance in other places as well was
2: it well i i was i was signed as a director and then there was never a contract there was no nothing was ever signed but apparently they've done s- contracts since but yeah, i've not not been part of that <laughs> They
3: did contracts in those days no, no they sort of, sort
2: of they didn't so um The understanding, which I made sure to get all ironed out before I went and did anything, was that I was signed as a director, so for directing work, that was exclusively through Blink, but they weren't paying me anything, so if I needed to work on anything else in other places, as long as it wasn't directing work, that was fine.
0: So I think maybe we can throw it out to the audience if they have any questions to ask you about sort of first jobs and getting into the industry
1: my previous work that I've done before RCA, it's quite different to the work that I'm producing now with the textiles. Do you think if I'm approaching studios, it's good to keep the range of, with the digital, the 2D stuff in there too? Or do you think I should go away and make a few more projects in the style that I'm enjoying now before I start producing like a full portfolio or showreel?
5: I would say it depends what you're aiming at what kind of job you're looking for if you're looking for an animation job then just go ahead and send everything you've got that you think is any good even if it's the the work that you did before if you want to do animation 2D animation or stop motion send it out show people that you're there that what you've got what you can do if you're wanting to direct in a specific style like the textile style now then yeah wait until you're ready to kind of send that out with a view toward directing but regardless I would still get everything out on Instagram you know don't be shy just email people get in touch with people and and reach out to you but everyone do it
4: (laughs) don't wait I would just be honest in the email that you're sending to people just be like right okay this is where I was this is where I want to be that you can get a a realistic response then it's it's a conversation as opposed to give me a job it's like okay this is what i've done and if you put everything on instagram you can see the development anyway in someone's work I i think as
5: well in your email that you make to people be open and confident and say i'm looking for and say exactly what you want because you know we read these emails and it's like okay what do i interpret that what do you want to do so just say, you know, I'm looking for animation work or I'm looking for, I'm wanting to do directing and, you know, just go for it, do it.
1: I think I'd also say thinking about who you're targeting as well, like company-wide. So like, don't send your work to Peppa Pig based on what I've seen today. You know, it's like thinking about where would you actually sit? Where would you work well in a roster of directors? Where would you bring something different? I think as well, think about. And saying that to make maker, you know, when you email people, make it clear this isn't just cut and paste and you've changed the company name that you have actually looked at what they make and you're aware of you know flatter them a bit of course it's very important to flatter people
3: some people do try and do that you know they try and say oh i've watched your films and i you know i love your work and stuff but then i i don't find them very sincere because i don't feel that they've actually said anything that makes me think they have and i and i've hardly ever employed anyone who sent me an email unfortunately and I mean even just advertising has been challenging I've advertised for people too it's very difficult to find the right people you know I've tended to find people from employ several people I've met at London Animation Club um, for instance and you know I do employ my ex-students I'm afraid I know that's a bit nepotistic isn't it because you've already developed a relationship with them you know and you can see what they do but it is it is hard how people approach you but i once got a email from someone in bulgaria who wrote me the the most brilliant letter and i just said you know we were having hundreds of of, a week of people applying for work and i got my assistant to write back straight away and said you know we think you you know we're really impressed by your letter and and she actually flew straight over to see me. I actually, I didn't, funnily enough, give her a job, but she has gone on to be one of the most, very, very successful um, filmmakers. She's made quite a few features. She's worked commercially in, in the industry. But she wrote the most brilliant letter. I have to dig it out. It ought to be posted up, you know, somewhere, because it, as an example of, of a really good letter to a company. But majority of letters are useless.
4: We've still got a letter from one of our most successful directors, uh, commercial directors. It's fantastic. We've got it framed. Mm.
3: Well, that's what I think. They need to, a few of these need to be framed, don't they? Yeah.
4: Well, it's just just showing that you're a real human and you're like, look, I just really want to work with you and just be honest. Um, But going to the events and actually speaking to people is just much, much better. And I know it's really hard to go up to someone that looks really scary, but they're not that scary, I promise. Sweet. So, no, that, I, I mean, that's
0: something that we always, especially at she do that try and like really like, hammer home is that there is a person on the end of every single one of those emails. So yeah, make it engaging. Write an email like you're talking to a person. You know, you've really got to put yourself out there and be human.
1: My question is actually following up on something that a few of you touched on earlier, if that's okay, as opposed to about accessing the industry necessarily. A few of you mentioned kind of the ideal film length. That you would prefer, whether that's in industry or whether that's as a festival programmer, and I'm just curious to know your thoughts. It's not to criticise those, you know, those requests and preferences because I totally understand why they're there, but I just wondered, what do you think the, you know, do you have any thoughts or concerns for the impact that those preferences might have on the culture of independent filmmaking, if filmmakers are creating to the specifications of where they think their work might end up
4: I don't have an answer but I
1: think that is
4: I think you're right like us saying cut it down to be 30 because of our attention span or because we've been sent loads of stuff like we don't want that to destroy the amazing creative idea I think it's just to initially get in front of someone that is why films have film trailers It's that initial bit of sales to sell yourself. So if your film is going to be longer, I think you still need that shorter thing because it is so hard. You're fighting against so many people and to just get in front of someone and get that that clip. So if if your film is ginormous, cut it down just for that.
5: I think that the film needs to be the length that the film should be creatively for the idea. In some cases, I feel that inexperienced directors will try to make a longer film just because they think that the longer film is where it should be. And, you know, some of us have got short attention spans. But, you know, I th- I think the attention span is more to do with watching a film that might just be dragging on for the sake of it, rather than the film being the right length for it itself creatively. So it's not about us saying, oh my God, don't make any film that's longer than three minutes. It's more about make the film the right length but be very aware of the editing and the pacing of the film, and don't stretch it out just because you want to make it longer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with all of, all of that. And just to say, like in terms of festivals, most festivals would say a short film is twenty minutes, as a usual kind of um, regulation, and that is usually based on live action. And you know, often when people are pushing twenty minutes in animation, they're people that have been doing it for a long time. They've got these epic stories. You know, if it, you can often see films that you know are three minutes that are as good as any of those films. You know, it's about that efficiency of storytelling and really packing a punch with a film. So don't ever feel like, oh, my film's only three minutes. is like, if it's a good three minutes, that's excellent. You know, from a programmer perspective, when you're looking at say 200 films, you need to just program 10. You know, you're not going to go for loads of 20-minute films. You're going to want variety. Of, you know, so think about that as well. That sometimes when you're you're programming, you'll make a decision of like, do I put in this 15-minute film or do I like these? these three five-minute films you know you're having to make those kind of calls sometimes which can be quite tough so you know never feel like a short film is a bad thing or that you know you're in any way diminished by not making the 50 minute film yet and also especially if you're doing it you know you've got a short amount of time you haven't got any money just you know don't do it to yourself don't spend years working on something for free just because you really want to make a long film yeah
0: i would say actually it'd be great to yeah jump into film festivals and um And ask about programming. Like, is there anything that you'd want emerging like artists to be thinking about as they're entering film festivals as a programmer? Is there something that you're maybe looking for? Or that's quite a broad question, but (laughs) that's a very broad question.
1: Yes, (laughs) I mean it's always innovation in technique, in story. You know, you especially if you're doing maybe like so. For instance, like the McLaren Award, which Sue has won. the very first McLaren Award ever, Sue won. Um, So the McLaren Award is the Edinburgh Film Festival. Um, so for that for instance that's like best of british so for that you know you're looking at who are making the the most innovative in technique in the style of norman mclaren for instance so there's a kind of there's a criteria there that you're looking for um, and with that that would be emergent talent that would be established talent as well and then you know some festivals especially if you're going to enter your film into a purely animation festival there might be 12 different you know animation programs and they'll be thematic you know if you look at festivals like LIAF, there'll be a documentary strand there'll be the what the fuck strand as we mentioned there'll be one about being human, there'll be one about family. There'll be one about love. You know, there'll be a horror film one. There'll be a long short. You know, they're all of these things that you can kind of find. Like, where does my film fit within these these festivals? So really, yeah, just start looking at what's out there, and you know, if the, I always sort of say. There are thousands of festivals, so if you really, as most people have, a very sort of small budget probably to send out, and there's some very high fees, and you probably don't want to spend your entire life distributing your film. So, really, just very targeted look at like what are the the festivals that are the established festivals, which are the ones that like are recognized by BAFTA or BIFA or the Oscars or whatever, and really just think about where is my film really likely to land? Am I a Sundance film? Or maybe I'm not, maybe I'm a London Short Film Festival film. Maybe I'm a London comedy you know, festival film. You know, I think really just kind of work out where you sit and put your energy into putting your film where you think it will really actually get selected. If you don't get... I mean, getting into Sundance is really difficult. I've never done it. Um. <laughs> Not to say you couldn't, just because I haven't, you could. Um, so, yeah, just kind of really look around and look at, like, who... who where have the people that have come here before you gone? Look at someone who does something similar to you and look at all the festivals they've gone to. You know, just start doing that kind of research.
3: Well, yeah, I, I, I agreed it's more or less Abigail said it all. You know, I just, I just go through the British Council have a, a list on their website and I just look at all the ones that they'll give you a travel grant to. So if you get your film into a festival, they will potentially give you a travel grant. So that's the first step because then you can afford to go and then you can do your networking. And the next thing I do is look at all the... There's a list, I don't know where I got it from, but I'm sure you can Google it. You know, there's a BAFTA or, or Oscar qualifying festivals. And I just go through all those ones as well and BAFTA qualifying ones. And once I've gone through them, I then look at the... The entry fees, so if any of those have high entry fees, above about £20, £25, I won't put them into those. So that cuts out a lot of the American ones, so don't bother with them. If there's one you think you'll really want to go to, then you might want to chance it. But there's a lot of fake festivals out there. You've got to be very, very cautious. And, you know, if people are trying to get you to, you know, sometimes you'll get an email saying you can get a. some, we'll give you a... Special discount or waiver. Most, a lot of those are not very genuine festivals. So I, I every single festival that I get some kind of invite. Too. I do a lot of research. I look at their website. I look if it's a really bad website. I look at my friends or people I know who are recently making films. Has anyone I know shown at that festival? So you've got to do your research. The other thing I would suggest looking into is if you've got some money, is to hire someone else to do it for you. It's, it is very time consuming. And there are various companies out there. There's a, a company called Festival Formula. I got them to do the distribution on one of our films because I wasn't paying for it. I got the client to pay, so it was a commission film. That was very good for us. And we got the f- film got into lots of festivals, and we didn't have to do any of the work. So it's worth considering that. And they'll they'll look at your film and they'll you know they'll do a strategy for you. I'm not sure that you know they're quite a busy company now. I'm not sure that they're so bespoke for animation, but it is worth it's certainly worth considering.
4: Would you advise like looking at awards as well, like the Sharks and Young Arrows? Because you don't actually have to like commercial awards.
5: Uh, probably not because they're more aimed at commercials and. So you want to do more creative, yeah, so yeah? I would say, if you've done a commercial, then get the company to put it in.
4: Because I've had direct, I've signed directors that have won new director awards and something like the Sharks. In Maybe. Bars, do you think?
3: Maybe. Yeah. Thing. You you could put them in you should all try British Animation Awards and that's free to enter for a short film. I guess
0: maybe some people are also thinking whether they should or shouldn't enter into festivals because, you know, there's, you can put things online and like festivals can get quite expensive. But Stephen, I feel like your graduation film was quite successful. I mean, very successful going around festivals. I mean, it'd be great to just hear about that experience and how that, if that had any impact on your career or if any sort of opportunities came out of that. I think
2: more opportunities would have come out of it if I were a better social networker. Uh, if I were more able to make the most of those opportunities. I, yeah, I I think I made some good friends in a couple of the festivals, but I don't think it it was, I wasn't approaching it as as a business opportunity, I was approaching it as a a fun little boondoggle to uh, see another country. Yeah, which it was a huge success for in that that front. I got to go nice places, meet nice people.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think f- think festivals are tricky and, and it's you often think, well, you know, what does one thing lead to? You know, when you go to a festival, is it going to lead to a commission to make another film? I would say often probably it doesn't. But as I've got older and I've, you know, and recently been going around a lot of festivals in the last year, I think one of the most rewarding aspects is, you know, it's obviously seeing other people's work and, and talking to those filmmakers and also be able to you know exchange ideas which even though there might not be it might not be a direct, Oh, I've just got commissioned to make another film, or I've got another grant. But it's a what you can take from from going to a different place in the world, even if it's just the experience round the streets. Like when I went to Ottawa, I mean, it's quite it's quite horrendous the way people are living in Ottawa on the streets. You know, there's so much poverty. You, I didn't expect that. So there's e- each festival is in a different context, and it's all part of your sort of. Creative experience. I mean, I, I, and I think again, it's a shame that in the UK, perhaps Manchester is, is a strong one, but I haven't been. I haven't been to that one. But you know, we haven't got a festival like Annecy in the UK, and we haven't got the resources behind the festivals to give support for international, lots of international filmmakers to come. So that's a, a bit of a, a downer. But I think that the more you can mix with international you know a big international group and keep that relationship going so I'm still friends with people that I've met you know 20 30 years ago from these different festivals and I think that's it's the support network and the community that's perhaps the most important aspect and the and the knowledge exchange really
1: um, yeah just picking up on manchester is a really good festival particularly for an industry focus lots of studios go and they have an industry day and you can go and meet recruiters so if that's what you're you know interested in go take your portfolio to manchester which is in november coming back to ottawa ottawa's not all doom and gloom it's a lovely festival and they do pumpkin carving it's very fun that's um festival <laughs> no, is fantastic Festival's Yeah, it's it's a very it's it's an unusual town uh, to have a festival in, but a lot of them are like that. So, um, but yeah, it's a very good place to network festivals. I've met lots of people that you know potential co-productions, opportunities that have come out, filmmakers that I would like to work with if we could work make the funding work all, all kinds of things which so it is really good to go i mean annecy is if you're going to go to one festival go to annecy that's where everyone is that's where you'll meet people that's where you'll meet distributors and producers and broadcasters you know you can end up going to parties and just bumping into people and yeah it's a really useful one also the i suppose the thing with festivals we have got quite a few good ones in the uk like cardiff and LeaF and edinburgh of course um, <laughs> um i work for them in case you hadn't worked out um And, yeah, so it is, you know, one thing I think is always worth bearing in mind is just to kind of, again, target, like, what festivals do you really want to go to, what could you afford to go to, and environmentally, what is a good thing to do, you know, like, you can can get a train to Annecy, it's more expensive than flying, but it makes you feel slightly less guilty, so, you know, there's all those kind of considerations as well.
0: No, that's really good to hear, and actually, yeah, it'd be great to hear more, like, you guys go to festivals looking for people and engaging any tips on where to like find people in that kind of instance or even just um how to approach people because i know it can be i'm a terrible networker so i'm always just sitting in the corner but if you guys have any advice that'd be really great i got an ice cream and met the
4: producer one of the producers from the simpsons just getting an ice cream just be like a little bit confident but not too cocky so i uh met one of uh, Sue's artists in a pub because she was looking for a charger. So <laughs> she, was just, she, was, she was just a random person that walked into the pub and she was looking for a charger and a plug and she was like, I need help. But um, it doesn't matter how awkward you are. Like I think it is literally just about meeting people that, that you don't have to sell yourself to. It's meeting people. I think... Things like, for me, commercially, like at Kinsale Festival and stuff like that, a bit different. That's probably like, if you're signed to a production company, it'd be worth going to. But we tend to find those festivals so much better because you'll be playing darts with someone and then realise that they run an advertising agency you're like oh I've just made a new contact and a friend so I think it's just making friends with people in the normal way probably going to the pub more than you'd like to I mean I don't even drink and I have a Coca-Cola and I go and sit and chat to people but um, just make the first move go and say hello everyone's as nervous as everyone else.
5: Yeah and I've got like Emma has um, some really good dear friends from all over the world that I've met at various festivals and you used to go round with your film to all the festivals and meet the people, meet everyone and it was really nice but that was 25 years ago but, uh, Some of them are still around still do it. Some of the friends Some of, the some of them are still alive Some yeah. the bosses now
3: Talking about the environment, I think that's really important what what Abigail said about how you travel, and the British Council will pay you more if you go by train, but I didn't know that until after I asked them for the money, and I went all the way to... Zagreb by train then I went from Zagreb to Annecy by train and then Annecy back to London so it's um, and I went all the way to Vienna by train except that I didn't because they unfortunately cancelled Eurostar so we ended up going by coach to Brussels which (laughs) but I really encourage you to think about trains as part
1: of your stuff. Yeah I was just gonna add about how to approach people Um, don't be too drunk always good, there's always something to bear in mind, (laughs) especially at Annecy um and you know it's good to have uh, postcards or you know sometimes people have things like transferable tattoos and then the next day people are like what a film is this you know and people are walking around with someone's like film tattooed on them thinking of lucha in the rock specifically Manasey. and they don't come off yeah yeah but it's good because then it you know it's like you meet so many people you have a visual reminder oh yeah this film they, uh, this film was playing in this program i must remember to you know this i met this filmmaker they were really nice they didn't hassle me for too long and they weren't you know too in your face but it's yeah it's just it's like anything in life as you said you're just sort of being friendly and um, just making sure people have a, a memory of you but not a bad memory
0: oh that's great to throw it out does anyone have any questions about film festivals at all just a slightly more technical question do programmers
5: really care about the biography or artist statement that much or do they just jump and watch the film
1: I mean if I'm selecting films I only look at the film I don't look at anything about the person I wouldn't I would only go back to that afterwards if I was going to like seriously looking to select a film yeah, because you're trying to look look at things blind and not, like, kind of prejudge things, so... And then you look at synopsis sometimes, and they're like, ah, oh, OK. Doesn't mean it might, you might still programme it, even if you, it wasn't what you were expecting. But it is, I think it is important to still have all that stuff on Film Freeway, because if there are people who are, like... You, they might be on the fence, maybe, about your film, so then that might be something that might just help to kind of sway it a bit, you know? Um, I think I could definitely think of some films I've looked at where I've then read, like, a director's statement on Film Freeway, especially about process. Obviously, everyone fetishizes process you know so if you can put some like nice behind the scenes stills if you can say a little bit like about why you chose that technique for instance then that can sometimes like make go oh yeah okay and especially like that thing we were saying earlier is it is it cg is it stop motion you know if someone if someone's watching your film and they might have that kind of question if you kind of like make it really obvious like that you made it in blender or whatever and you know that you it's a yeah like that whole thing about i've learned this in four months things like that are going to impress people but don't agonize over it i would say
2: this isn't as much about the festival circuit but more about the getting started in animation how important would you say it is to have a consistent personal brand like if you're using many different techniques and many different styles does that confuse like potential people who would hire you or is that just showing multiple strengths what's the
3: Well I think it can actually work against you commercially. When presenting yourself somebody for hire I remember showing agencies my work and they thought there were eight different directors because I had so many different styles and actually it was just actually two people and I think that that hasn't always played in my favour. On the other hand if you want to be creative Filmmaker with a long career, probably the more you are diverse and able to do different styles, the better. Actually, but it just it does tend to confuse commercial outlets. I mean, these guys are more in it, in the commercial world now than I am. But I still think that people want to they want something, and they want to you know, like the guy who did the yellow that film. You know, you can see someone wanting to make an ad just like that film, and then they they kind of want to go for that. Um, I can see your film has a stylistic quality that someone might want to pick up on that, but then if they start seeing some other kind of black and white thing that's a bit stop motion or something different, they might get confused. So it's how you present it to different clients, and I tend to make specific showreels for whatever thing I'm pitching for. So I have a different show reel for every potential pitch, generally. So you gear it to who you think. But I mean, it's different with Instagram now, because it's all there flat out, isn't it? But
5: I, I think I sort of agree that um, if you've got something that works really well... And then we're looking at it and we want to see a bit more of that. Let's see what else you've got that's similar to that. If it's a particular way of making films, particular way of telling stories, a particular look, that's kind of what we are buying into. So we do want to see more of it that we can then go (coughs) and sell on to a client. If the client is looking for something specific, they want to see that and we need as much of that as we can get to share with them it's not going to do you any harm if you've got lots of other things that you can do as well that you've got in your back pocket i can do this and this and this but you if you want to establish yourself as a say a director with a style you need to have more than one thing in that style really many of our students are working in narrative single screen short films for festivals um or that could play at festivals Um, Some students are working, for example, with interactive installation or non-interactive installation, other kind of XR formats. So I don't know if any of you are able to talk a little bit around what opportunities there are within those areas, if any, um, within the festival world or um, close to the festival world.
1: Um, I would recommend there's a very good website and newsletter called XR Must, and they list all of the upcoming deadlines, and they do a lot of um, focuses on different festivals there are a lot of festivals out there that do immersive strands now like Venice Immersive or uh, all the other festivals I've forgotten the names of. So I'll grab, yeah lots of animation festivals now do Annecy of course have a very hot room where you can go and do VR um, <laughs> and I'm sure that's the same in lots of festivals. Yeah so there's definitely much more interest particularly in VR possibly less so in AR at the moment but I think that's kind of maybe going to have it it's going to have its day so you know sure but in terms of funding for instance the doc society have just they've got a features fund out at the moment but you can also apply for immersive projects on that funding and also i think the bfi network though now they only do an annual deadline so i think that's already passed but the bfi network which is sort of regional hubs around the country you can apply to that as well for immersive projects now so there are there are opportunities out there so it's yeah it's just kind of doing research
5: and then, in the more
1: installation
5: um world Abigail, this might be something you know more about like the gallery world. where does that intersect with industry or festivals?
1: I'm not sure it does intersect as such like is it's rare that you have festivals that have gallery exhibition elements to them except maybe maybe aesthetica aesthetica, but they have like a prize which is all sort of separate to the short film festival so yeah in terms of galleries you kind of need to look at things like bloomberg new contemporaries for instance so kind of look at things like art rabbit lists opportunities that are coming up things like that it doesn't mean that you can't kind of hop between these different worlds but you kind of got to just do
0: more research to find all the different opportunities great right. is that yeah, sure. Okay, great. Well, um I thought maybe we could close out with just a message from each of you maybe for students who are graduating and anything that you kind of any advice or any tips or just telling them that they're great and they're going to do awesome.
4: <laughs> One thing I would say is like this isn't it. If it's some like you're all amazing and this is this can be a stepping stone to anything. It doesn't have to st- Stop here you don 't have to know exactly what you want to do there's so many different roles in in the animation world, and just stay positive and make loads of mates because they're going to help you whatever way you want to go.
3: I agree, and I think that the one thing that you 've got to do is to you know you've got to keep on going whatever anyone says to you. Often people will say things like, "Oh, maybe you shouldn't do it there's no money in it, or you know try and put you down lots of people will put put you down, even if they don't really mean to, maybe they're having a bad day they might tell you your idea is bad you might get rejected from funding, you might get rejected from lots of festivals but whatever happens, you've got to just, you know, you've got to get your stomach really kind of powerful and you've got to hold yourself and you've just got to carry on and I think it's um, you know, it takes a
5: lot of, lots of strength to do that but you've got to do it and in agreement just keep on going keep plugging away and if you email people and they don't respond just email them again if they're not responding it's more than likely
1: they've just overlooked it
5: because they've got loads of other things to do
1: yeah i would just say it's um it's really tough when you first graduate it'll take a while for you to find like the right job so don't feel disheartened it's taken everyone a long time to get to where they are, and we haven't we haven't even really talked about all our failures, but we've all got a load, a big pile of failures behind us as well. <laughs> For every film that gets made, think of all the ones that just lie in the dust. Delicious. Yeah, but you can you can do it.
2: Yeah, and I would say that the failures are also really valuable. That we learn a lot from those mistakes and failures we've done along the way. At the same time, as we were saying, it's about relationships with people and being nice to people and. In a way that is less crude than I said earlier.
3: But also, what you said about um, you know being too cocky, I think maybe the Royal College can encourage you to be cocky because I certainly was far too cocky, and I, and I, I I said some terrible things, of the equivalent to what you, you know you said. Oh, I'm not going to, I wouldn't work as an intern for you, kind of thing. I mean, I did the same thing. I got asked to work on on someone's you know half hour show. And I could see they were quite influenced by my style, which is, you know, as, you know, did, does happen sometimes. So when they asked me to work as an animator on it, I said, um, I only want to work on it if you get me to direct it. And that was just the most stupid thing to say because, of course, they, you know, they didn't employ me at all. And then I w- went hungry for like six months with no work. So that's another thing. You know, you don't want to be so. You've got to get that balance of being confident and determined, but no, not so fucking cocky that you kick yourself in the teeth. Which is, um, and so you've got to learn from that.
2: Worked out for you though. Yes. <laughs> that was lovely. I wouldn't recommend
0: it. Well, um, yeah, thank you very much. Um, That's a great note to end on. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for everyone on the panel and thank you all so much for being here and listening. So, yes, thank you. And thank you, Carla, for having us today. It was great. Thank you for coming. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening we hope you found the panelists advice useful and go on to submit to film festivals and get on emailing producers to find those first jobs we wanted to say a massive thank you to carla mckinnon for inviting us to the royal college of art industry day and the amazing panelists for sharing their experience and superb advice it was a joy for us to chat with them all and we really hope to do some more panels in the future we'll be back in the new year with our episode on the salary report but until then from everyone at she that thank you for listening